Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. <laughs> In 400 meters. In 100 meters. You have reached your destination. Hello. <laughs> Joining me today on the podcast is Teresa Weedrick. And Teresa is a homeschooling mom of four who lives in British Columbia on a homestead. And she is a writer and a blogger at CapturingTheCharmedLife.com. Teresa has described her homeschooling style as an unschooled classical education hybrid. Teresa, what can you add to that introduction? Tell me about your family and your homeschooling journey. Well, I can tell you that I'm reliant on dark chocolate more than I should be. <laughs> I definitely offset that with dog, walk, or walks with the dog. So uh, my family, I have four children aged 10 to 17. We've been homeschooling for 10 years. I picked up a book about homeschooling on a lark. It was called The Homeschooling Option, How to Decide When It's Right for Your Family by Lisa Rivero. And I read the book with the intention of finding my arguments against homeschooling <laughs> because everyone around me was homeschooling. Famous <laughs> last word. Yeah, <laughs> fate, was, fate was determined. So the next 10 years became about that book that I, I picked up. So I have a 10-year-old that is about grade five right now, um, and grade eight, and that's 13, and grade 10, that's 16, and early graduated oldest daughter who's 17 and happens to be traveling around Mexico with a backpack right now. That's amazing. We presently live on a homestead, but we've only done that for about three years we have 10 chickens or ten, nine chickens Henry the eighth doesn't like to be called a chicken Cluckingham Palace has nine princesses and one rooster and Cluckingham guard and his or her name is Violet our great Pyrenees puppy outside of homesteading which is new to all of us our kids love to dance and perform in theater in choir except for my youngest who is our son and he loves curling and soccer and chess and all sorts of games. My husband is a family physician who works as chief of staff at the hospital and also works in the Emerge. And he's always been very busy. But homeschooling has definitely taken our family to a whole different level of busy. Um, and I am a homeschooling, homesteading mom who at core is a writer. Well, there's so much that we could talk about today. But Teresa and I have decided that we're going to talk about homeschooling in British Columbia. So Teresa, I understand that in British Columbia, there are two broad education methods that some people refer to as homeschooling. Can you tell us about that and what the differences are? I've always been a section 12, 13 registered homeschooler, but I have met many homeschoolers or self-defined homeschoolers 
that are either from independent distant learning schools or are registered with section 1213. But I'm, I'm usually the rare one who is known by the British Columbia government as actually a homeschooler. Most people I know, they define themselves as homeschoolers, but most people I know aren't section 1213 homeschoolers. So they're um, just doing their education at home through distance learning programs or through an, an independent schools distant learning program. So they're technically doing school at home, but section 12 would not classify those as homeschoolers per se. That is right. Uh, section 12 does determine them as homeschoolers. It's the independent le- distant learning schools that are not officially con- included as homeschoolers in the government. So what that means is that they enroll with the school system in the province through all sorts of different venues. They could be public schools like brick and mortar schools, or they could be distance learning programs, which there are many in British Columbia. And it means that they are given a certain sum every year that oversees their curriculum or their resources that they need. But it also means that they have some sort of resource teacher and someone overseeing their education. Some of those um, distance learning schools are very, they look like an unschooled curriculum. And somehow those resource teachers meet Uh, learning outcomes for the province. Officially, though, the government doesn't acknowledge that as homeschool. It's the Section 1213 that are the registered homeschoolers. I'm part of a board that is representing BC homeschoolers throughout the province. It was a grassroots movement that essentially is keeping tabs on the province to ensure the freedoms, preserve and protect the freedoms of homeschoolers in the province. So here in Ontario, we think about British Columbia homeschoolers and we hear about it and we hear that they have to be registered. And while we're not giving official legal advice here on the podcast, it's up to you to check what the regulations are in your area. But here in Ontario, we don't actually have to register our children in any way. And so when we hear about British Columbia, we hear oh, they have to register their children. That is an impingement on our liberty. And we have all these conspiracy theories and we feel sorry for all of you. And we keep our eyes on what's happening in British <laughs> Columbia and hope it doesn't come our way. So so what does that registration really mean and how yeah. does it actually and play actually, out? I, so I appreciate that notion because I'm also of that persuasion that I don't think the government needs to know that I'm educating my child or all the details around that. I know that my experience as a homeschooler uh, in Section 1213, which essentially says in a non-legal format that I am responsible for the education of my children, and ultimately I need to tell the province that they exist and give them the birth certificate once a year or make sure that they know what their healthcare number is. But otherwise, I don't have anyone overseeing their education in any way other than my husband and I. And there we decide what kind of learning or curriculum approach we, um, we, we do that entire element. So I, my general experience when I tell people about our homeschool format is their jaws drop that we're taking the responsibility for that instead of um, the government overseeing it. But the back, I think it was 1986, 1987, when they did do what you said, they, the government took the reins of the homeschooling and said, 
you need to register. And then I think it was around 94, 95, 96, where they had a distance learning program established. And so the Ministry of Education required or asked if people wanted to be independent distant learners at home, they would be given those resource teachers and finances or some sort of curriculum, something along that line. And there was a real shift in how many registered homeschoolers there were versus the distance learner. I would think too in um, British Columbia. Learners, I guess. I would think too in British Columbia, there are quite a few people in remote areas that maybe don't have access to schools. And so they would feel that something like that provincially would be beneficial or necessary for some people. I think a lot of people here hear about homeschooling, the word homeschooling in the context of the independent distant learning programs. And because those independent distant learning programs have finances behind them, they're able to um, have a presence in the community. Like uh, the biggest homeschool conference we have is funded by one of those programs. And it's a great, it's a great conference. It does obviously tout their distance learning program. And uh, we do have a presence there, though. I find that people, generally homeschoolers that or home learners that get drawn into this lifestyle, do want someone to oversee them. They're afraid to do it on their own. And that's generally my experience, I should say. But sometimes it's also the resources that are available to them that feel like that would be significant. I think when you've homeschooled long enough, you do gain confidence in all of that. I agree. And when whether you're enrolled or not in this province, I think that people generally feel a lot more confident in how they approach things. Their philosophy is very malleable, dependent on who they are and who their kids are. And I think by this stage of, you know, 10 years homeschooling, everyone calls themselves eclectic or unschooled classical. I'm just trying to spice it up, but I, I have some version of eclectic really homeschooling? Yes, because you start off one way and then you realize, well, maybe that doesn't work. And then you try something else and you bring in a bit of this and a bit of that and what works for you, what works for your children. And then each child is different. So what works for one person who's maybe an auditory learner won't work for the kinesthetic learner and so on and so forth. So yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of it though, right? We can custom make it to our family and to our children. That's right. That's part of the freedom. So in Ontario, the law just says that If the children are not at school, they have to be receiving satisfactory education at home or elsewhere. That's all it says. So the school board can determine whether your home educating is satisfactory or not. When my mom homeschooled, she would get a visit from the school board representative and for a few years, but then he stopped coming because he knew she was doing a great job and he didn't need to waste her time or his time checking up on her. And I've homeschooled for 20, it depends if you count it from birth, I like to, you know, but for 22 years, say, and Mm -hmm. I've never been checked up on by the school board at all. So they never knew if I was doing a satisfactory education or not, but I was, so it's all okay. But That's the same experience I have. I think it's, if I'm remembering right, I think it's section 13B or section 14 that says that the registered homeschooler can be reported and someone can come check to see what's going on, but that's never happened 
in my experience either. Yes. And I think too, if you have a good relationship with your neighbors and like when I get a new neighbor, I always have a little visit, take them some goodies, say, you know, if you see some kids around here at weird hours, it's because we homeschool and this is what we do and so on. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And then, you know, so there isn't that fear or worry that causes people to misunderstand what we're doing. We also live out in the country, so we don't have that many neighbors. It's the same. We don't have a lot of neighbors down here either. But uh, we are in town an awful lot because of all the extracurriculars. Exactly. Um, in British Columbia, in general, I think that homeschooling is a widely accepted approach to an education. I think individual families are sometimes very surprised at the, the especially younger families, at the idea that you could homeschool. And I always pointed back, I've learned not to be defensive about the whole discussion, and that's taken me years, but I've learned um, to assume that they have no idea what I just said, and try to find out what point of reference they do have about it. But I have never had a conversation with someone that started out the discussion of what an education is, and them not come to have some understanding that homeschooling actually is an extremely useful venue for educating a person. Yes, yes. There are a few people who have been very brainwashed by the system that can't get their heads around this independent thinking. But for the most part, I also find that people are, you know, they can see the pros of it. And so by the end of the conversation, they're the ones who are saying how great it is. <laughs> so Right. Yeah. And I've had some serious skeptics um, even ones that have been in our, our life for a long time, and they have said something similar, which frankly surprised me. But not really, because it really is a lifestyle that is useful on so many levels. And I have the advantage of saying, well, I was homeschooled. So what can they say to that? Mm-hmm. I turned out okay. Or did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most people wouldn't wouldn't say otherwise. <laughs> it's been really fun now that our oldest is running the Minister of Office at Queen's Park, which is our provincial parliament, uh, because that's a pretty nice proof really? thing that, you know, the homeschooling turned out okay, that she's successful. Excellent. Yeah, we have a couple Very of homeschooled kids at Queen's Park right now, so it's fun. I got to have a tour, staff-only zone. Wow, that's yeah. cute. Lovely. So you mentioned that you sit on the board of an organization that represents the homeschoolers of British Columbia. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You started to talk about how you're advocating on behalf of the freedoms of true homeschoolers. That's right. They're an advocacy group for the Section 1213 registered homeschoolers in the province, which um, is intending to preserve and protect the homeschool freedoms. So once a year, someone is in contact with Ministry of Education to ask them uh, their their perspective of homeschooling and make sure that they know that they're representing at present about, uh, according to 2017-2018 statistics, 2,260 children in the province. And, you know, they're sending MLA letters to our individual MLAs to also introduce ourselves. Actually, my daughter happened to be a house sitter for our MLA, which was not planned, but it was interesting to connect that way. 
So what does um, MLA stand and also, for? You know, because in our area, it stands for something else that has to do with real estate. So what does that MLA stand for? And can you also tell us the name of the oh, group that MLA. you're on the board of? Yeah. So a member of legislative assembly. So the representative in the provincial government. Okay, so we would and call that we, a, member, a board member MPP here in Ontario. We would call that an MPP. Well, I think the MP is the federal government representative, oh. and the MLA is a provincial. Okay, so here we call we have an MP for the federal, an MPP for provincial. So okay. a member of provincial parliament is oh. your L MLA. Okay, interesting. So the uh, we're or I'm part of a, a BCHEA board, which is the British Columbia Home Educators Association, and so we send out regular newsletters to let people know that are part of our membership what we understand is happening in the province if something is happening. Oftentimes we see that through the media. Um, we're also representatives on Facebook threads and making sure to spread the word about. Section 1213, Registered Homeschooling, um, also a presence in our conferences that are present in BC. There was a, a f- I think it's just a few months back, there was a newspaper editorial that came out in one of the Vancouver newspapers that was associating homeschooling with problematic homeschool scenario, not too far from where I live. And it was a polygamist community And because it was a polygamous community and also homeschooling, this Vancouver editorial or editor, a writer, journalist, uh, was saying that we should cap the limits on homeschooling so that this sort of thing can't happen. And quickly, the legal element of our board, and they're not officially the legal representations, but they, they are lawyers. And there's a lot of people that are familiar with all the laws and know how to represent the BC homeschoolers were quick to respond with an editorial and, you know, counter the arguments that were present in that, which just like, you know, um, well, like we all know, we've met, we've I went to high school, I wasn't homeschooled, and there were a lot of really unusual, not so healthy scenarios in school. For sure. And there are surely plenty not so healthy scenarios in homeschool, but that doesn't equate to therefore the homeschool parents should have to um, have a different level of engagement with the government. There's no causation there. That happens to be that particular family's uh, unique situation. It's not causation with one odd example, for example. That's right. So the BCHA is a representative in the public realm as well. So then a homeschooler in British Columbia then can become a member of this very helpful group. And so then the group will advocate on their behalf and also give them a newsletter to keep them informed and get them connected with resources and that sort of thing. That's right. Yeah. Be the public presence for registered homeschooling. Okay, so make sure if you're listening and you're from British Columbia, if you haven't already, check out BCHEA. And that is a group that will be advocating on your behalf and informing you. And so we recommend that you check that out. Teresa, you and your family have not always lived in British Columbia. You've done a lot of traveling, both outside of Canada and within Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about your travels? That's right. We actually started in Kingston, Ontario. 
um, where my husband was doing his residency and I worked as a nurse before our children were born. Uh, and then our oldest was born at KGH. And then after that, we did a bunch of short-term locums through um, in Ontario, in Alberta and Northwest Territories. We settled in old Alberta and lived there for seven years and then decided to have a massive shift in, in life focus and simplify things. And so we actually hoped to, um, at the time, to move to Prince Edward Island. We thought of the idea of moving there, it's but the nice work there. wasn't appropriate for my husband. It's beautiful, and it wasn't ideal for his work. But then we discovered um, a shared practice for my husband in Kamloops. And because of that shared practice, we traveled probably about half the time in our seven years. And so we traveled up to the Arctic for a summer and flew into Tuktoyaktuk at one point. And we've been all over BC, Alberta, Northwest Territories. And we've done all sorts of travels across Canada, the U.S., and most exotic, we went into rural Africa twice. Um, the last time we were in Ghana, and the few years before that, we were in Kenya. So we've had all sorts of different adventures, and definitely because homeschooling enabled us to have that kind of freedom. That's amazing. I haven't been to Africa yet. My husband has been to Burundi and Kenya, and my daughter has been to Nunavut. She did an oh. internship up there for a summer as well and came back with a puppy because up in Nunavut, they have oh, to go nice. all... <laughs> yeah, they have to go all the way up to all the way down to Winnipeg, take like three or four planes to Winnipeg just to get their dog fixed. Of course, none of them can afford to do that. They live halfway oh, wow. up to Hudson Bay. And so there are lots of puppies running around and you would think it was a husky or something like that. But no, she's a tiny little, she has some little terrier in her and maybe spaniel. And uh, her name is Atti, which means to go and it suits her perfectly. She never stops going. So on another personal note, you and your family are building a homestead. So what does a typical homeschooling day look like at your beautiful Kootenay region homestead? And I ask that almost humorously because what is a typical day of homeschooling? I don't know, but maybe you could walk us through one. Exactly. Well, typical is so different now that my kids are older. And I know when I was younger, typical was just radically different with a one and a half year old and a three year old and older, two other older children. And now I've got my youngest who's 10. My 17 year old is not even here for the last few months and she's graduated. So I have to transition into she's actually not homeschooling and then my my 13 and 16 year old are teenagers so they are quite independent in their kinds of studies so I say I'm a classical unschooler so that means that I have been deeply influenced by John Holt and John Taylor Gatto and love the notions of kids need to be interested in learning. But at the same time, I also like Latin and uh, languages and logic and math and, and incorporating all sorts of things like art history and, and different topics like that. So I tend to unschool classical um, subject areas. So what it means is about 8.30 in the morning for the last few years, we've been joining together to do what I'm calling literature time but it used to be called circle time when I had younger people and we'll do some sort of formal literature reading 
and we're presently learning about the symphony and different parts of the orchestra. Um, and then by nine o'clock, I've discovered what everybody's plans are for math and writing. And uh, they are fairly independent doing that. Even my 10 year old actually is a prolific writer and is natural at math. Um, they all know what things are on the roster and they, they go to it. And by 11 o'clock, I'm doing French and spelling with my 10-year-old. And I definitely check to see what everybody's doing during the day. And in the afternoon, we, we spend about 45 minutes doing reading with tea. And, uh, and then everybody has either a history or science-related project or reading of some sort and then at three o'clock, we're pretty much getting ready to go to town. Now, having said that, I'm also including all the writing that I love to do and, you know, dealing with the chickens and making sure our, our puppy has been walked. Everybody gets a turn to walk the puppy. Uh, lots of cooking, baking, that sort of thing. Probably that puppy is walking them too, because I know that breed of dog is huge. We used to be sheep farmers, so we're familiar with that breed of dog. And so, yes, so the puppy is walking the people. We are eagerly training her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A trained dog is a delight. So you are an A average... large guardian dog. <laughs> yes. So you're an avid reader and self-proclaimed professional reader, and you're also a writer at your blog. Do you have any special writing projects on the go? Well, I always have many writing projects on the go, and that has been happening since I was about six. Um, but in the last year, I decided to start writing Homeschool Mama Self-Care. Essentially what it is is an approach to how to enable mama to have all of the things she needs fed and um, live the balanced life that she needs to, though there's no such thing really as fully balanced, um, so that she can equip her family to do the things that she wants to do for them. And so though I naturally go into the 14 realms to rule the care and keeping of homeschool mama, um, all the things that you might expect, but I also have discussions on things you wouldn't expect um, about, for instance, you know, PMS or homeschool mama sexuality or different things that uh, don't always get a lot of discussion. Ooh, but that's going to be a juicy. proponent. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think that that actually would be a homeschool post that would go viral, I think, or it wouldn't go viral at all. Hard to say. It's hard to say. Um, Can I tell you something I funny? They, yeah. At our homeschool group, we had a um, just a meeting for moms and we have different topics and the topic was extreme couponing. So I posted on Facebook that we had talked about extreme couponing, but autocorrect changed it to coupling. And so it said extreme <laughs> coupling and I clicked like post, send, whatever. And yeah, we got a good laugh out of that. But I mean, you know, we do have larger than average family <laughs> sizes, so it could be true, right? Well, we cannot have homeschooled worlds if we haven't engaged in that activity. <laughs> exactly. Our school would be empty. But I don't <laughs> And it's not just those realms that I like to... Um, that I want to discuss, but it's also, and I think the biggest thing is how we engage our thought life. I think that people that find out that I'm a homeschool mom 
often have their jaws drop. They're either very surprised or in awe that I would take on something like this, which I'm sure you know, yes. experience. I've even had somebody bow one time. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but they often have concerns about socialization. And I often and often hear from other homeschool moms that they have concerns about academic gaps. But I think what we really need to be concerned about is are we the people, the mothers that we were meant to be and living the balanced life and also able to compartmentalize the uncomfortable feelings that we have so that we can continue on providing for our children in the most nurturing way. And I think that's a challenging, a lifelong and challenging approach, but it is a way that helps us to experience even more freedom, personal freedom and to also teach our children how to deal with thoughts and emotions and know how to take care of ourselves and take care of others. Yeah, I think that's something that we've learned over the years as well. And just um, one thing that I like to talk about is the difference between false guilt and real guilt. And as mothers, we have so many insecurities. And then you put homeschooling into the mix. And I mean, everything we feel is riding on how we do. So, so much is riding on what we do. And we don't really know if it's going to be okay or not. But I mean, studies do show that it is okay. But yeah, we have a lot on our minds. And then how are we modeling that for our children? How are we helping them to work through their own thought processes and their own emotions? So... Yeah, we will definitely get together. And when that book is launching, we will have a whole conversation about the book and have shameless plugs and put it out there for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds so good. Are you ready for the home stretch? Our little quick questions that we do at the end of every podcast? I sure am. All right, let's do this thing. What has been your worst homeschool moment? It would definitely be uh, a collection of reactive moments when I react towards them in a way that I know isn't the ideal scenario. And I'll give you a vulnerable one. Uh, when my oldest daughter had first been talking about going to school, because she actually ended up graduating from a brick and mortar school, I couldn't fathom that I had given up all the things I had given up and had chosen this homeschool freedom and this homeschool lifestyle. And she actually wanted to go to school. And so it took her, I think, months to convince me that it was still um, a useful thing to do. But I remember one argument that we had that was so heated that I stopped on the side of the road when I was bringing the kids into town for something and I dropped her off on the side of the road and I said you can go to town by yourself and that's definitely a moment where I think ah oh, that was clearly not the ideal approach and being the very independent kid that she is she found her way to town no problem it's on a bus bus line but um, she found her way to town but it was definitely a moment that I seriously regretted so any moment that reflected those kinds of feelings where I reacted instead of intentionally chose to do something on purpose that would be useful, which frankly, I'm still learning, just not quite on that scale. Thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable. I, I know for a fact that we have all had at least one moment like that. And so the fact that you're putting it out there just helps us to be real. And maybe there's someone else 
that's out there listening that is like, you know, I'm not the only one. And, uh, but you know, we, we learn from those and our kids are gracious, you know, they, they know that we're messing up. And if we try to act like we're, we didn't mess up and we just sweep it under the carpet or justify ourselves, whatever, they're smart. They know exactly what's going on. So, but they do meet us with so much grace when we actually say, you know what, I'm, I messed up. I should not have done that. This is what I should have done. Okay, I'm ready to listen. They do appreciate that. They soften right up. That's right. And I actually have learned that the parenting role is not just about us doing things for them um, and learning from us, but that we're also learning through them. It's so true. And some of our children like to teach us more than others. Yeah, that one for me. (laughs) Yes. What has been your best homeschooling moment? No, that one is just going to have to be a collection of moments. And it really is cuddles and reading books on the sofa with tea and every moment that I've been truly present with them. And there are many and there are so many different experiences, not just travel experiences or field trips, but the ordinary days where we're in pajamas or I'm in my yoga pants still. And, you know, just the days that feel harmonious those really are the beautiful days. And there's so many moments like that. Yeah, I miss those days when I've said, you know what, it's a nice day out. Let's put a big picnic blanket out on the front lawn and let's bring our books and just read out there yep. and you know the butterflies and sunshine and, and our cat would always come join us. Absolutely. Yeah. If you could go back and do things differently, what would you change in your homeschool? Well, it had to do with that first worst homeschool moment, and it is learning to listen, not always trying to do things my way, which is absolutely still a challenge. (laughs) But it is um, listening, really hearing them, not being reactive. And sometimes we just think we're being responsible Like we think it's our job to be like that. Right. Which hilariously, I mean, your next question actually ties in again with. Yeah, go for it. What you had just said. One of the resources that um, I would recommend is Gordon Newfelt. All of his, um, he's a psychologist in BC. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have. He discusses attachment theory, famous for hold on to your kids. And the attachment theory concepts have really fashioned my parenting ideals and they're not they're on a practical level every day I'm absolutely not always doing everything that I know is ideal but this um, his notions have really pushed me in in a direction of um, healthier but if um, you talk just homeschooling resources I would say Julie Bogart and everything brave writer okay so we'll put a link to that in our show notes too so that you guys can look it up and that will be helpful to you as a resource. And that's one reason why we're here. What advice would you give someone just starting out homeschooling? The daunting task and the exciting task that is before them. What advice would you give? Well, I would generally expect that they would be reading everything about homeschooling, that they would be planning, you know, 15 minute increments throughout their day (laughs) uh, with pretty all sorts of colors in their daytime (laughs) Um, and going to curriculum fairs and buying hundreds of dollars of new curriculum and deciding that now they know how they're going to homeschool or maybe that was just me but I'd say there isn't a formula 
there really isn't a formula. There is no perfect parenting. There isn't a perfect academic schedule. There isn't perfect socialization or social opportunities. There is only focus on your relationships. That would be the goal is focus on, focus on the relationships, focus on how you think and how what you're thinking is affecting your family. Thank you. That's good advice. And if you could leave the listeners with one word of encouragement, what would you say? Hmm. You can do it. Anybody can do it. Everybody says, I couldn't do that before they do it. And I agree. I couldn't either. But you can do it. If you want to do it, then you can do it. These are your kids. You love them more than anybody else. You are watching them closer than anyone else. You care what happens to them, how they process things, how they learn, how they engage other people. You will find the best way. And in the process, you're going to gather up all sorts of really wonderful memories, do a lot of interior work, (laughs) which isn't the fun part, but gather up all those wonderful memories and feel like you lived a very full family life. That's just beautiful. I am pretty sure I did not send you the last chapter of the book I'm working on, but three quarters of that was almost word for word. This keeps happening to us. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Me neither. Me neither. So I've only read one chapter of your book. So Teresa has been good enough to do some peer editing for me. And, uh, and so we're going back and forth a little bit about that and we'll keep you posted. So I just want to say thank you so much. So we're going to be talking again. Uh, next time we talk, it will be probably about how you're financially educating your kids, I think. And then when your book is getting ready to be launched, we'll okay. be talking about homeschool mama self-care. So we look forward to that too. Thank you so much. It was lovely. Thank you for chatting. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling, Canada! Hee <laughs> hee!